Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Pixel Tunes Radio. I'm Ed. And I'm Mike. And today is Mike's Picks. Yay! Everything that we're going to play on this podcast, Mike has picked. We feel like the shoot 'em ups episode last time was maybe a little too Ed-centric, <laughs> which is fine by me, you know, but... Um, whoa, so, whoa, we had UN Squadron. We had UN Squadron, <laughs> so that was that little... That little solar system of Mike that I kind of revolved around. <laughs> so we're also going to use this as an opportunity to kind of get to know Mike as a host a little bit better. So what we're going to do is do like a little QA session, and if you guys have any questions you want to ask Mike when we post this podcast, definitely feel free. And Mike will probably lie to you, but he might actually be honest. We don't know. I am almost honest almost all the time. Almost. I'm trying to parse that, and it's not working out. <laughs> so, Mike, what got you into video game music in the first place? Well, that's a good question. I would probably say, as far as video game music, I mean, I've been listening to it for a long time. Most of the times, though, it was always with the games themselves. So it wasn't really anything where I was going and finding the music separately until, I don't know, probably high school, where I would download, like, NSF, you know, like, NSF programs to listen to Nintendo music. Yep. And when I was in college, I would work to Nintendo music, so I would just (laughs) throw it on and just... I would loop the same track over and over and over again, because that's the beauty of the NSF files, is unless there's an eventual end to the track it would just loop and loop and loop. Right. So you'd walk in to me playing, like, the Kabuki Quantum Fighter soundtrack over and over and over and over again. That's awesome. Yeah, my roommates hated me. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that your personal music taste in in popular music leans towards, like, mostly metal and hard rock. Does that influence your taste in video game music at all? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So my favorite band of all time is Iron Maiden. Probably in high school, that's when it started. And I noticed a lot of similarities between my interest in video game music and Iron Maiden and other heavy metal bands. Mm. A lot of the really, really super heavy stuff is not very transferable when it comes to... So if you're talking like bands like Meshuga or you know anything that's really, really heavy, definitely. Yeah. It doesn't translate well to chiptune or really any video game music for the most part. However, um, there's some rare exceptions, like um, the indie artist, the chiptune artist, Danimal Cannon. He does some phenomenal Meshuggah-esque or inspired... Yeah, he's all over the place he with this stuff. He is crazy. I mean, he does some really cool stuff. Um, and there's a little bit of... I remember the old... There's an old PlayStation game called Kensei Sacred Fist. Yeah. It's a fighting game. That had, like, a couple death metal tracks yeah. in it, too. I think the boss music was actually really good. Hmm. Yeah, so most of the music that I listen to is very melodic, and a lot of the, I guess, video game music that I listen to kind of matches that. So most of the metal bands that I got into, when I started hearing Iron Maiden, then I heard like their twin guitar attack where they would do certain melodies with different octaves for solos and stuff like that, and lead lines, uh, that just... That sold me right there. I love, like, I'm a sucker for that stuff. <laughs> if you if you did a song where it was just like two guitars, twin guitars, where it was just different octaves and they were just soloing with one another, oh, that would be it, man. That, I would lose it. So that that's why a lot of these video game tracks they have a lot of that type of stuff. 
and a lot of it is like especially like the Mega Man X tracks. I mean, we're gonna you're gonna see a lot of that music when we go through these songs. I also have I have a very eclectic taste. I would I would say personally, I started listening to you know basically whatever my parents listened to, and then I started listening to like pop music like Michael Jackson, like that type of stuff. And then I got into like Grateful Dead and, you know, like their 80s albums and mm -hmm. stuff. You know, basically whatever was in the cassette player driving around when I was a kid. Video game music was never in the car. So it was always something where I would have to play the games to listen to it because back then there was no way to record yeah, video game yeah. music. And it also becomes kind of like your personal music because yeah. it's not something you're sharing with your parents. So there's more of that's a... That's true. It becomes more of a sentimental thing because you're, yeah. you're kind of owning that music. Yeah, no, that's true. And so then in middle school, I was trying to be more of a cool kid, like try to fit in. So I started listening to alternative music. Like when I was in middle school, um, Nirvana was huge, Soundgarden. And the first CD I actually ever purchased was Soundgarden's Super Unknown. Great, great album. Awesome album. That kind of started my, I guess, segue into metal. And then I ended up picking up Metallica's and Justice for All. And that right there, I was like, this is the greatest album ever. <laughs> or one of the greatest albums ever. So I began a huge love of Metallica, and then that segued into a bunch of different metal bands. I just dived right in, and high school was all about metal. I mean, I listened to all kinds of metal. Death metal, black metal, symphonic metal. Um, my favorite, especially later on in high school, was power metal. So I would listen to power metal and progressive metal all the time, just tons of squiddly meadleys and, <laughs> and medleys and lead lines, you know, with different octaves. Just awesome. love that stuff. And we're definitely going to see a lot of that influence oh, yeah. on the picks that you have this, this podcast. Yep. So we're going to start off with kind of an obscure title called Jim Power in the Lost Dimension for the Amiga. Yes. So what made you pick this track? Well, I actually only have experience playing the game on Super Nintendo. This was a game that I got introduced to through a friend of mine, and uh, I had heard of Chris Holzbeck, who recorded this song, and you know all the other songs from like Great Gianna Sisters and all the Turkin games. So he's a phenomenal composer, and the songs for Jim Power are very Japanese arcadey. That was how he's actually put it. Listening to the music in this game, I was just like, oh my god, like, the music is just so epic. This title track, it was really funny because a friend of mine were listening to it, he introduced me to a lot of Amiga music, and I didn't even know what the Amiga was, in all honesty, so I found out about the game through him for his love of Amiga music, and so I got into the music first, then played the game on Super Nintendo, mm. so I've not actually played it on Amiga. Uh, I've only played the game on Super Nintendo. The game is phenomenal. It's one of the most underrated Super Nintendo games ever. I mean, if you take Contra 3 and Mega Man and combine the two, it's pretty much that. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty much the same. I actually have played it on the Amiga just a little bit, mm -hmm. but I've never played the other two, so okay. it's kind of funny. But I, what I remember about the graphics is they're extremely vibrant. Oh, yeah. Very unique yeah. set of colors that they have used. It really makes the game kind of stand out among everything else. Definitely. I'm a I'm a big Chris Holzbeck fan myself, especially from like the Mega Turrican, Super Turrican Definitely. games. 
And one of his latest works is actually a game for iOS and Android called Doctor Who Legacy. It's basically like a match three puzzle quest kind okay. of game with the Doctor Who theme. Right. But he's got three tracks in that game that are just absolutely phenomenal. Nice. And I loved him before I even knew. It was just kind of a coincidence. I just kind of looked into who did it. And I was yeah. like, oh my god, that's Chris Holzman. That's awesome. <laughs> so let's get into the music. This is Jim Power in the Lost Dimension, the title screen from the Amiga game. Booyah.
Hey Kyle, how's it going? It's going really well actually. I've got midterms next week, but everything's going really well. I actually have been studying really hard this semester, but I think everything will pay off. So, funny thing about this weather we're having lately. I wish Mother Nature would make up her mind. It's kind of strange. Oh boy, this guy's pretty cute. Like, if only he didn't talk so much. Hello there. Why, it's the star of the Ninja Gaiden games, Ryu Hayabusa. Ryu, what are you doing here? You're Kyle. Kyle, man. You're really striking out with Rachel. I know, but I can't stop talking when I get nervous around girls. I You need words be gone. I used to act the same way as you, talking until people run away, scaring off elders and children. So, I joined forces with leading scientists to create Words Be Gone. This patented formula forces your brain to slow down in those tense situations. It's like pouring cement over your vocabulary. Gimme. So, any plans for the weekend? Uh, um... Hey, he slowed down all of a sudden. Maybe this could work out after all. Um, stuff? Oh, Kyle, you say the sweetest things. What the? Words Be Gone, from the makers of Birds Be Gone, now in cherry flavor. Available at all CSV, Tite Aid, and Ball Greens. Just look in the cosmetic aisle. Welcome back! That last track was from Ninja Gaiden 2 for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And that was the opening track called Approaching Evil. That cinematic blew me away. Oh my god. That <laughs> See, that's the reason why I picked that song, is that scene was one of the first times in a video game where I was personally introduced to a story. Because, I mean, at that point, I mean, Mario, Zelda, all that stuff, I mean, yeah, there was a, you know, little story here and there. Not right. really in Mario. But they're but... mainly like tiny little sprites yeah. with big boxes of dialogue. Right, and, you know, mispronounced English, you know, kind of <laughs> clashoration or whatever. Yep. When Ninja Gaiden 2 came out, this was actually the first game that I was able to play on my own TV. So my parents got me this game and a TV. Oh, wow. Yeah, like a little tiny sharp TV, 19-inch TV for my bedroom. I opened up this game, and I, I put it in, and I tried it out. And I had, like, wanted this game for a while. I hadn't played the first one. It, it's crazy. Like, a lot of the games where I was introduced to these, you know, various different series, like uh, Castlevania, Ninja Gaiden, I was introduced to them through the sequels. Yeah. So I hadn't <laughs> played the originals. That's fine. So that, and, and they became my favorites because... They were the, not only the first ones I played, but I thought they were the best. When this game opens up and you see this lightning sky and you see this mysterious figure and they they just, the way that they do it, it was like watching a cartoon. Yeah. So, and the, like a really good cartoon, like a really serious good cartoon that was like very adult. It felt very adult to me. I was probably about, I'd say 10 years old or so when I started playing this game. So to listen to the song, it was just such an awesome, epic introduction to this phenomenal game that had an intense story. Yeah, and it, the artwork was fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Too. Every single drawing was just spot on. Perfect, yeah. And the music fit perfectly, and there were these giant full-screen mm -hmm. animations, and the villain, Ashtar, like his... Oh, yeah. He was just amazing. Yeah. I mean, he looked kind of like a cross between Cobra Commander and, and Serpentor. <laughs> yeah, and, you yeah. know, G.I. Joe was huge at the time. Oh, absolutely, so yeah. That's the connection I made with him. <laughs> but, you know, then he's got this this guy that drops down, and he's, like, you know, bending to his will. Yeah, he, just, yeah. he exuded power between the huge robe and the lightning. Like, they really 
did a fantastic job at making him look like a really formidable opponent. Oh, that, absolutely. That you're going to be fighting toward. When I had finally beat Ashtar in the game, I thought I beat the game. So I was like, yes, yes, and I'm I did like, the same I thing. was like, I was like, end of story. Because I mean, you you see Ashtar, he's just like you were saying, he's such a he's such a presence in that game, yeah. and and every bit of music fits Ashtar when he's on the screen mm-hmm. from the time when he's you know killing Irene and when you know, spoilers, yeah, I know, right? Twenty year old, twenty year old spoilers, yeah. It was just such an impact on me for that specific track. It didn't really have anything to do with what it sounded like. I mean, you know, talking about going back to like the genres and stuff, it doesn't really fit into any sort of specific genre. I wouldn't say it's hard rock or metal or classical or I, I don't know, it's just... It's kind of cinematic yeah. I guess is the best way to... Yeah. That's and it's, way it's, to a, it. it's nice because it's a it's a long song or at least a decently long song mm-hmm. with a beginning and an end. Like it ends yeah. cold. It's not just a loop that plays behind right. a cinematic. True. The music actually fits what's going on the yeah. screen. And you didn't get that very much in, in, in Nintendo true. games either. Yeah. And uh, going back to the art with Ninja Gaiden 2, um, I think the art was was the best in that game. When you compare the other two in the trilogy, Ninja Gaiden 1 especially like the close-ups on Ryu's face, sometimes he doesn't look like he ends up looking throughout the rest of the game and yeah. throughout the rest of the series. Yeah. So when he takes his mask off in like uh, 2, for example, he looks very youthful and very almost American. I was surprised at that Yeah, too. yeah. And, and, it's like, oh, he's a normal dude. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so when you look at the first game's art style, he's got this like evil eyebrow look where he, he looks a lot older mm-hmm. and then he pulls off his mask and you're like wait he looks like a teenager yeah so it was just really crazy to see that in in the games and so the first game I thought the art style was good as far as the cutscenes go but I thought that two got everything nailed down the best every, yeah. every character looked like each character throughout the game whereas in one and three sometimes especially in three Ryu would look really like almost like not pudgy, but like his his mask would like like cling to his face. Yeah, the perspective was just kind of yeah. bizarre. It was weird. They were trying but, to do more than I think the NES could accomplish. Yeah, it might have looked better with a better or a larger palette of colors. Mm-hmm. That, but that, that just wasn't available to him back. Then. Yeah, the shadows just weren't able to be right. correct. Ninja Gaiden Two was composed by Ryuichi Nita and Mayuko Akamura. I think it's kind of funny that Ryuichi Nita worked on this because we originally played the Ninja Gaiden arcade game yes. which he worked on mm-hmm. that that soundtrack's not great no it's not <laughs> <laughs> and this game only came out two years after that arcade game hmm. and the quality of the music is just night exponentially night. better than, than arcade so I don't know maybe he went to school and got his GED in music composition he did work on the first Ninja Gaiden Nintendo game too so oh, really? there's a lot of music in that so. did he work on the third one? he did not he did not he did hmm. not the third one has different music, though, so that kind of, I mean... Yeah, different composers, so... Yeah, each sense. game kind of sounds different, but the first game and the second game, I would say, sound a lot closer. He went on to do, like, Tecmo World Cup Soccer, Tecmo Super Bowl, Fire and Ice for NES, which had a pretty good soundtrack. Yeah. So, we are going to be moving into the Mega Man series. Yes. I'm 
I'm familiar with Mega Man. I'll say that I came in on Mega Man 2, I played through it, memorized it. That game, I just played over and over again. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel a need to get 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 or X or 2 or whatever <laughs> because I, I just enjoyed Mega Man 2 so much and I just played that all the time. Yeah. But you have played through pretty much all of them, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge Mega Man fan and it all started with 3 for me. Same thing with the mm. sequels. So Mega Man 3, I was in Little League and I really didn't want to go to Little, Little League practice because I just rented Mega Man 3 from Blockbuster. <laughs> So we put in the game, and I'm playing it, and my dad pretty much had to drag me out of the room to go to Little League practice. I did not want to go. <laughs> I was obsessed with this game. I mean, it was the first Nintendo Power issue that I got that had Mega Man 3 on the cover. I was... This is my favorite game of all time, by far. I think it's the best Mega Man game ever across all the series. X, Legends, whatever you want to say. Mm. Mega Man 3 had everything tossed into it and the kitchen sink. It had the best soundtrack, in my opinion. Wrong. I know a lot of people, <laughs> I, especially you. No, I'm a Mega Man 2 fan, yeah, but you know, that's just because that's that's my major experience. I do, right. I will concede that Mega Man 3 does have an excellent yes. soundtrack. Yes. I just feel like Mega Man 2 is more of like the soundtrack to my youth. Yeah. And I'm sure you feel the same way about 3. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, 3 is definitely by far the soundtrack to my youth. So Mega Man 3 was composed mainly by Yasuaki Fujita, who goes by... Bun Bun. I always thought that was funny in the credits. Just, his name's Bun Bun. I know they used credits to avoid, you know, different, like, pseudonyms, I guess you could say, yeah. to hide from headhunters that were trying to get these composers to come to their company. But Bun Bun, just like, why? Japan. I don't know. Yeah, the, the answer is it, Japan. Usually, it's either an in joke or something that's yeah. significant to them that they can show their family and say, "Look, I made this," and they would understand the reference. Right. Bun Bun or Yasuaki Fujita also did some work on Final Fight, The Little Mermaid, mm -hmm. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He also did Final Fight Two, both Metal Slug first mission and second mission. And then he came back to do the Solar Man stage for Mega Man 10. Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. So we're doing which boss from Spark Mega Man? Man. Spark Man, yeah. This was one of my favorite tracks other than the title track. I mean, at various different points in my life, I will get hooked on one Mega Man 3 song and just play <laughs> it over and over and over again. This song in particular, I was able to find new things that I liked about it each time I listen to it. And even still to this day, when I listen to the track, there's always something that I hear in the track that makes me kind of light up and go, you know, that I've never really discovered before. Mm. There's just so many different layers in this track. And this was also, I think, a big reason as to why I like techno or dance music. This is a very dance-oriented song. Yeah, and song. it's one of the most catchy songs, Definitely. too. You kind of hear it in your head after yeah. listening to it a whole bunch of times. So. Yeah. So, this is Sparkman from Mega Man 3. We're going to do a block of Mega Man songs here, so we're going to have a couple tracks for Mega Man X2 after this. We'll talk more about those when we come back.
Welcome back. Mega Man. Mega Man. That was a huge Mega Man block, but some of the songs were really short, so I wanted to put them together. There were so many tracks to pick from. I really wanted to stay away from Mega Man X just because I would pick every single song. You're a cheater, bro. I am. I, I told am. you 10 tracks, pick 11. God. What's well, wrong such, with you? Such a jerk. <laughs> I'm, I'm selfish. I'm a pig. It's okay. Yeah. I'll probably pick 13 for my picks. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Just to one up. Just yeah. like... A bunch of Who really goes? super short. Tracks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I picked twelve. They're all death themes. They're like all three notes. <laughs> they're all like 12, 12, 12 seconds. <laughs> so that first track that we heard is from the Flame Stag stage in Mega Man X Two, and the official name. What's the official name of that? Volcano's song? Fury. Volcano's Fury. That's pretty much applicable. Oh yeah, yeah. This song is angry. This song is metal, and this is the best kind of metal. This is what I was talking about before. Anything with lead lines with different octaves all at the same time, are it, that's just my bread and butter. This was not my favorite X game growing up. X was my favorite. However, when I got older, like I would say even pretty recently, this became my favorite of the trilogy. Hmm. I, there's something about X2 that I really, really love. It's the underdog of the series. It's also like the Empire Strikes Back of the series. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute as far as Zero's Rebirth track. That's the name of the track. Yeah. For that. Yeah, it even kind of almost like starts the same way that yeah. like it does in Star Wars, where at the beginning of X2, you're like... Fighting the rebels. Yeah. yeah. You're like, you know, okay, I beat Sigma in the last game, yeah. oh, but there's still more guys I gotta beat. Yeah, you know, it's pretty like, much. It just kind of takes that whole... <laughs> end of the climax of X and just kind of like makes it okay not done yet (laughs) more of the same yeah with the Flamestag stage I would boot up this game in an emulator so I would play Mega Man X2 up to the volcano zone stage I wouldn't use like save states or whatever I would just go to that level (laughs) I would mess around with the emulator for ZSNES or whatever the emulator's name was yep and I would turn off all the sound channels and then I would start turning them on one by one, and I would make my own little remixes. So I'd have the guitars come in first, or I would maybe have the drums come in first and start playing the drums, and then I would find out which buttons controlled the lead lines, and then I would introduce the lead lines at the same time. It was, wow. it was, I was a huge nerd. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. You should do a special mix just for Pixel Tunes. Yuki Uwai composed Mega Man X and Mega Man X 2. It's interesting that as a female composer, she's very hard rock. Because usually with female composers, you get more of a gentle or more melodic kind yeah. of a sound. But a lot of this game, a lot of X, they have kind of like rock metal influences yeah. in them. I think that's just the style they were going for. Yeah. Um, there's an interesting tidbit about the Volcano song for Flamestack's level. That song was actually supposed to be left out of the game. But the producers and the people who were making the game, they all loved the track so much that they ended up including it in the game and it became Flamestag stage. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of cool. Well, you were talking about, and a couple episodes ago, about their affinity for Guns N' Roses, so yeah. I guess their musical taste did lean towards hard rock. Definitely. So makes sense. Yeah, with X3 too, also female composer Kinyo Yamashita, which we talked about on the on a couple Every episodes. episode. Every episode, right? <laughs> and then for Zero's theme... That track, I think the moment is really what made me pick that track. If you were like me and you're a completionist and you had to get everything, there were two different ways that you can pretty much end up with zero in the game. 
The first way is you don't collect any of Zero's parts throughout the game. You end up having to fight Zero. It's the real Zero, but he's being controlled by Sigma, the bad guy. If you collect all the parts like I did, you would show up and there'd be this black-suited Zero instead. And it's the same scene, but then out of nowhere, Zero just comes in and there's all these like crazy sound effects of him just like totally you know messing up the black zero mm. and then he rushes in his and then you know your life bar fills up and you you and then there's the real zero right there and it's just like yes it's like the most coolest moment in the in the game that's pretty awesome so that moment that everything that you had been fighting for to see zero come back and just kick ass it was so cool. And the track itself is just so metal and so awesome and badass. So, what's our next song for Mike's Picks? Next song is Thrash Hard in the Cave. Thrashered in the Cave. Or thrashered, Thrash Hard. <laughs> However, it is a thrashy song. It is, it is. It's a really cool song. The specific version we're going to be listening to is from Akumajo Dracula X68. Yes. This was the Sharp X68000 computer system from Japan. So Konami had created a port or a version, pretty much a brand new version of the game Mm -hmm. for the original Castlevania. It was also called Castlevania Chronicles on the PlayStation 1 when it was ported over to that. Yes. And they kind of like re-fixed a bunch of stuff and introduced new Yeah, it was a pretty faithful walkthrough or a pretty faithful version of the game. Yeah. From just from the title screen itself, you can select either the arranged, mm-hmm. where it had arranged music, a different protagonist sprite, or you can choose the original Sharp yeah. X68000 graphics. Yeah, the artists for the later Castlevania games, like Lament of Innocence, redid the sprites mm-hmm. for the game, and you know she basically reimagined Simon Belmont. So we see him now with like red hair, and it just looks very, very. Japanese. Yeah, yeah, the, the longer hair. Yeah. The background's in the X68000 game. It's almost like a blend between the NES games and Super Castlevania 4. There's That's a lot true. of elements of both. Yeah. Especially like in the cave, it looks like Definitely. it's directly out of Super Castlevania 4 on the yeah. Super Nintendo. So it's a neat little amalgamation of, of a couple true. different Castlevania games all thrown together. Yeah, and this is actually from the cave level, from right. the Akamacho Dracula game. And I would personally say that this has more. This song sounds a little bit more like it's coming from a Genesis, and I believe that's because they... Yeah, it had an FM synth. Yeah, it had an FM synth. synth in there. Yeah, definitely. This track perfectly showcases my interest in music, because I go all over the place. So it starts out very heavy and very metal, and it ends up like somewhere in the middle where it's got a very jazz feel to it. Mm-hmm. A very fusion-ish, where it's just like there's... You know, just everybody's playing music, and it's got this very driving beat. Yeah, oh yeah, you know. And then you've got this guitar that comes in that's just like all over the place, like very weedly and needly, and I don't know. Sweetly's and needly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's less. It's more jazz influenced, I would say, at that point though in the song than than not. Yeah. yeah. I think this is kind of where our tastes in music kind of intersect. I'm not a big heavy metal fan or hard rock fan mm-hmm. outside of video games, but for some reason I really love metal songs when they're completely synthesized. Yeah. 
electronic rock. I get I, that. I, I think I really appreciate that a lot more than I do real guitars, which which sounds <laughs> weird, but it's just me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy this song too. So enjoy Thrashard in the Cave, Castlevania, Akamajo, Dracula, X68000. Did I say that right? Is that it? Is that all yeah, all right. pretty much. It's Excellent. a mouthful. Enjoy.
I didn't want you involved in this. I told you not to leave the house. Take my sword and shield and listen. You can focus power in the blade, then release it using the secret technique handed down by our people. Link, you can do it. Save the princess. Zelda is your... My, my what? Z- Zelda's my what? Oh. What the hell, Uncle? That was totally lame. Hello, Link. Ryu Hayabusa? How did you get here? This isn't even your game. I'm a ninja. Duh. It seems like your uncle had something important to say just now. You got that right. He says Zelda is my... something. I, I think that's a pretty big part of the game. I mean, the player's gonna be really ticked off. Sounds like you need words be here. Words be here? Words be here. When a character stops speaking suddenly, sprinkle a little magic dust on his head, and poof, he'll be able to finish his dialogue. All for the low, low cost of 5,000 rupees. That's a lot. I guess it's worth it, though. Okay, here. Do your stuff, magic powder. Link! Link! Zelda is your... princess. My princess? You live in her kingdom. She's a princess. Do the math! That's what I spent 5,000 rupees on? This is total bullshit. So, so if you ever miss an important plot point, have no fear. Use words be here. What a freaking ripoff. Available at the back of that sketchy parking lot where the propane tanks are sold. Welcome back. That was, obviously, Zelda. So that track was Majestic Castle. Zelda Link to the Past is my favorite Zelda, by far. I am a big fan of classical music. Not so much that I'll sit there and try to find all these various different artists for Mm -hmm. classical. My favorite's probably Bach. And I like Mozart and, you know, Tchaikovsky and Beethoven and, you know, all the big ones. Koji Kondo, who did this song... And obviously, of course, most of the Zelda music, Mm -hmm. especially in the earlier games, this song stood out to me. I think part of the reason is because it's got a very metal sound to it with the drums. Yeah. There's a really awesome build to the end of the song. And then when it starts to loop back to the beginning of the song... It's it's just such a great rising, falling action for a song. What really grabs it for me is just that staccato intro with that kind of detuned cymbal crash and the da 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 da. Like it really yeah. kind of like you walk into that castle and then boom, you yeah. know, everything's majestic all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, when you were just kind of wandering around in the forest before that. Mm-hmm. So that's what really kind of made me sit up and take notice of this tune. Yeah, and this tune comes back throughout the game, too, and it really rings true, especially when you are invading the castle. If you've gotten the Master Sword, you're going after Zelda to, to get her back, you know that stuff's about to get serious. Yeah. And this track is the perfect way to bring it back to the beginnings to say, you know, I invaded the castle before, I rescued Zelda, I'm going back, and I'm getting her again, which is really cool. Yeah, and that's what makes Nintendo's planning about the Zelda game so special, is that they they know these themes, they can operate on these themes, and they can use Kondo's music to generate that kind of feeling that you get, mm-hmm. and kind of harken yourself back to where it all started, and kind of, it helps you kind of bring the whole story together as a cohesive 
pop. Yeah. And this game, I would say, has, in my opinion, the best Zelda music. I would say oh, Ocarina yeah. of Time has the most eclectic mm -hmm. selection of songs. I mean, you've got I like, really the like the Lost Valley. Theme from, oh yeah, from that definitely. But this game, especially the later tracks, like um, the credits and you know them kind of showing everybody coming back, and you know the celebratory music yeah. when yep. you rescue the princess. Really, and just powerful. And... Oh, it's so emotional. I, I think that was like the only time in which I really felt that in a later track, which we'll get to a little bit later, those were the two moments where I really connected and felt emotionally invested in the games. And the soundtracks just really drive that home. I guess you could call me a casual Zelda fan, which <laughs> hardly exists. Yeah, There's yeah. either the people who don't care about it at all, right. or the people who are absolutely fanatical about it and want to know which order the games come in. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, it's Link, he's going on an adventure. Yeah. I'll, I'll check it out, you know. <laughs> I've finished the first one. Yeah, I finished the first one. I finished Link to the Past. I finished the first Game Boy game, the one with the big egg on the mountain. Yeah, whatever. Link's Awakening. Called, Link's Awakening. Yep. And then Twilight Princess. But that's yeah. that's really all I've played all the way through. I didn't even mm -hmm. attempt the N sixty four games at all. I started out with the first Zelda as one of the first games I owned. So the introduction that I had to video games was my grandfather had purchased me a Nintendo for some holiday. It was either a birthday or, you know, something. Hmm. And that was the beginning of the end for me. <laughs> <laughs> that ruined my life. So the first three games I got were, of course, Mario, which was a pack-in, Mario Duck Hunt, hmm. Metroid, and Zelda. Hmm. And those three were always the big three that I have always gone back to. So Metroid is, of course, one of my favorites. Yeah. Zelda... I like the first Zelda game. It's incredibly frustrating and difficult at times, but it is one of my favorites. But Link to the Past, because I was already invested in the first game, I hadn't played the second game. And this was also the first game that I ever pre-ordered. So it also mm -hmm. has a really special meaning to me because back then you didn't pre-order games. Right. I mean, it was just like, I'll just walk to the store and yeah. buy the game. Well, the hype, the hype building up to this oh, game absolutely. is amazing too. Was I mean, huge. Nintendo Power would have huge spreads on it yep. every every single issue up yeah. until it finally came out so and we would just kind of voraciously read it and be like oh my god we, we need to get this game everybody's yeah. going to be playing this game yeah. so we got to play it too do you remember the comic strip in Nintendo Power as a long term Nintendo Power subscriber I would be like I have to resubscribe I'm going to miss yeah. an, an issue <laughs> where they have like six pages of amazing Zelda-ness yes in it. yeah I do recall now yeah it was, good, was good stuff, stuff. it was really awesome so the next track that we're going to actually play is from a game that never came out in America. This is a game for Nintendo or for Famicom, whatever you want to call it. It's called Mr. Gimmick or Gimmick in Japan. Mr. Gimmick in the European markets and Gimmick in Japan with yeah. an exclamation point at the end. Mm -hmm. And this song was actually not used in the soundtrack. It is in the sound test, but... The song was not used in the in the soundtrack, and it's the best song. Yeah, in in my opinion, this song is, I don't know. I guess you could say it's dance electronic. I would say. I mean, it, it has electronic some, pop, electro yeah, pop. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But gimmick is kind of a kind of a strange title. Yeah. Um, it was planned for a U.S. release, but never actually made it out. Yeah. And then. The European release like only came out in Scandinavian markets. Yeah, or something. very it's weird. Very rare title and yeah. very hard to find. Yeah. The soundtrack is amazing. 
probably some of the best music ever heard on the NES, yeah. I think. Oh, you know, absolutely. It uses that, that traditional Sunsoft bass. Mm-hmm. Um, that Sunsoft that bass. Sunsoft bass. The composer is Masashi Kageyama, who actually only did less than 10 games in his entire career. Really? Spanning from the PC Engine up to the PS1. Yeah. But every single song in this game, it's just solidly composed. You know, the bass is, flows perfectly with mm-hmm. the song. The tracks go with the levels, yeah. too. Yeah, they and really the game fit. is really, really good. It's yeah. about picking stuff up and throwing it. I mean, that sounds really <laughs> dumb when you explain it like that. You... But there's some actual, you know, physics involved in the game. You have to ricochet what you throw off yeah. of the walls and to kill the enemies. And every single screen is kind of like a little puzzle that you have to get through, but it has... It's like a reverse Kirby, kind of. Yeah, very similar to that. Kind of Kirby mixed with Super Mario Bros. 2, I think is a good description of it. Yeah, Yeah. and the game, because it's so rare and because it's so sought after, a lot of collectors are, or just a lot of game enthusiasts, are gutting copies of a very specific game that the chipset will work with, Mm. which is Batman Return of the Joker for Nintendo. Mm -hmm. So they're gutting copies of this using the chipset to wipe the ROM, and then they're putting gimmick on this ROM. Interesting. Yeah, Didn't and that's that. driving up the price actually of Batman Return of the Joker because everyone's going after this game to make copies of Mr. So gimmick. So taking a valuable official game and <laughs> yeah. making it into a cheapo reproduction. Yeah, part, basically. basically. Yeah. Why don't you take a listen yourself? Here's Mr. Gimmick. The name of this song is "Strange Memories of Death."
Welcome back. That was from Final Fantasy VII, and that was Tifa's theme. Such a memorable character. Yeah. She was pretty hot. Yeah. Yeah. But aside from the boobs... Um, and the suspenders. And the suspenders. I don't really... And the hair. Yeah, I don't really... I don't really... And the legs. Yeah, no, boobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was enamored by... Tifa, I guess you could say. Well, she, she kind of had everything. She was smart. She was tough. Yeah. Uh, she was hot. Yeah. You she know. had a good personality too. I think. I think that was really the the striking thing that I found. Oh, you go for the good personality, huh? Yeah, yeah I know, I'm right? Sure. Hey, listen, good personality and boobs. That's that's the that's, best combination. That's the best combo. Final Fantasy VII. I started playing a little bit after it came out. I had gotten a PlayStation for Castlevania Symphony of the Night. That was the game that I bought the system for. In all honesty. When I got Final Fantasy VII, it was I actually rented it first from Hollywood Video, hmm. and started playing it, and was hooked. And I wasn't that big of an RPG. Still, to this day, I'm not that huge into RPGs. I like some, but I'm very finicky when it comes to RPGs. I have to love the characters, and I fell in love with most of the characters from Final Fantasy VII: yeah. Cloud, Tifa, Eris, Vincent, Barrett. I can't stand Yuffie. No, I can't stand yeah, either. No. Too perky. Yeah. And I also don't like Kate Sith. Kate Sith? Yeah. Oh, hate him. With a passion. I liked Red 13, though. I liked Red 13, and I liked Sid and Sephiroth. But, yeah. Who I, doesn't like Sephiroth? Oh, I mean, She's come on. badass. Yeah, totally. So, with Tifa, I kind of had this real connection with the character. And I know that's like... A lot of people are saying, oh, that's lame because it's, you know, not a real character or whatever. But it was like, that was my first real, like, video game girlfriend, I guess you could say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I didn't have a girlfriend in high school, so, you know, Tifa was kind of my stand-in. And I developed a weird connection with the character and always liked her. And, you know, I've, to this day, every almost every video that you've seen on my YouTube channel, you'll probably see a Tifa statue or a Tifa, <laughs> you know, piece of art. The hanging cameo appearance. Yeah, yeah, you know. But to talk about that song, of course, that was composed by Nobuo Umatsu, longtime Final Fantasy composer, and the whole soundtrack stands out as one of the best Final Fantasy soundtracks ever. Yeah, a very strong soundtrack. This was the first soundtrack that I actually ever owned. As, as like a as separate as, yeah, from the game? Yeah, this and, and actually Symphony of the Night. I bought <laughs> both soundtracks. Um, I think I got them as a gift <laughs> for the holidays. Cool. So it was really quite awesome to receive an actual soundtrack and be able to throw it in a CD player and walk around high school listening to these soundtracks. <laughs> the transition from the Super Nintendo sound chip to actual MIDI, like full-ranged MIDI that the PlayStation used, was just such a huge jump in quality. And yeah, I think it made all of the instruments really come to life. Yeah, and just the, the breadth of the amount of music that they could use, even though it was still on a CD, which by today's standards is relatively small amount of information, but the fact that it was all MIDI on the disc means it only took up mere kilobytes. Yeah. And so there's like something like between 9 and 12 hours worth of music wow. in this game by itself, and that's all original pieces. Right. For it to all be strong and have that much music in it is, is a real testament to Uematsu's work. When I played Final Fantasy VII, I was working at Funko Land, okay. which turned into GameStop eventually in right. the U.S. It was at the point where Cloud was in the dream, where he was kind of realizing that he and Zack might be not exactly who they say that they are. Right. 
And in that sequence, there's there's no save points whatsoever. Right. It's like a, like an hour long it's segment a huge of the game. Stretch, yeah. And I remember I had to go to work. Oh. So I was playing this part and trying to get through the dialogue, but also trying to read it because I knew it was an important part. Yeah. I showed up to work like a half an hour late, <laughs> and I walk in and everybody's kind of staring at me. And I look at my boss and I say, "Dude, I was just in Cloud's dream." I couldn't save. And he was like, oh, okay, don't worry about it. That's awesome. <laughs> the best thing about working in a video game yeah, store is yeah, that everybody understood yeah. what I was talking about. Yeah. So we're going to be moving into Quartet, which is a surprise pick from you from me. Yeah. Because this is an extremely obscure Sega arcade game. It's not a obscure pick if you know me and you know the type of music that I like. So That I can agree with. Yeah. So th- this is definitely a very dancey, rockish type song. Mm. But the baseline is really the, the driving point in this song. Yeah. I mean, the baseline is its own separate melody. It's, it's really very impressive to listen to this baseline and to hear it go like all over the place. I mean, it's, it's, and it also starts off in a gallop. And I am a sucker for gallops. Obviously, if I like Iron Maiden, most songs uh, by Steve Harris, one of the best bassists of all time, mm-hmm. has really awesome galloping to it and then it kind of goes into this all over the place uh, baseline where I pretty much completely zone out the main melodies with these um, just kind of focus on the bass yeah yeah just just the bass yeah although I think that that keyboard introduction is mm-hmm. pretty cool too yeah we were listening to it before we started the podcast and I noticed that the keyboard melody at the intro is exactly the same as Van Halen's jump. Yeah, right after the guitar solo. Right after solo. the guitar solo. Yeah, yeah. Um, same key, same keyboard run, mm-hmm. almost the same keyboard sound. Yeah. And jump was released a couple years before Quartet was. Right. So kind of in keeping with our little theme that we had going with the Soundalike episode mm-hmm. a couple episodes back, yeah. that there was definitely some influence there. This whole song kind of has that era's kind of power ballad feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, I would say um, as far as the game itself goes, because a lot of our audience may not be familiar with Quartet, Quartet is an arcade game released by Sega. So the game single player is not that great, but if you get a bunch of people together and you start playing the game on an arcade system, that's the real way to play. And that's actually how I got introduced to this game. Hmm. I used to take a yearly trip in the summer with my buddies to go to Fun Spot. And they had this game, and I was like, what is this game? And we put in some quarters and started playing it. We all had a really good time with it. But I noticed the music, and I was like, this music is freaking incredible. I need to download it when I get home. So I found the soundtrack and downloaded it. So the composer of Quartet is Katsuhiro Hayashi. He worked for Sega mostly in their arcade development department. So he's got credits like Hang On, um, Hokuto no Ken for the Master System, the original Fist of the North Star game, which was pretty cool. Okay. Rambo for the Master System. Somewhat obscure games, though. Yeah, mostly older Master System games. <laughs> so he seemed like he was just their kind of in-house dude for, for... So the name of this track is just simply level one, or stage one theme, I guess you could say. Uh, but this is the arcade version that you're going to be listening to. Mm-hmm. And that is about it. So please enjoy Quartet.
Coming back from Midnight Resistance. That's a cool tune. I love that song. Mm-hmm. That is one of my favorite tracks on the Genesis, in all honesty. Yeah, I can agree with you there. It's a really solid, solid soundtrack. Yeah. It had, um, the original version was an arcade game. Yes, it was. And... It ported all over the place. Yeah, Various it was... European systems, Commodore, Amiga, all that stuff. Are you ready for the list of composers? I am. Let's do it. Midnight Resistance was composed by Azusa Hara, Tatsuyuka Kiyuchi, Hitomi Komatsu, Hiraoka, Yoshida, and then for the Genesis, the music was ported by Hitoshi Sakamoto. I've actually talked a little bit about this in my review of Midnight Resistance on my show, Dude, You Haven't Played This Game. This episode, I I brought up some comments and some quotes that actually were said by the composer about music in general for video games. So it's pretty interesting to listen to this song even after I've done that review and go back to it and be like, you know what, this is still one of the best Genesis songs I've ever heard. He was like the Genesis Whisperer. Yeah. He could really really get an amazing... Solid sound <laughs> yeah. out of, and he wrote his own sound driver for the for the console. Oh, really? Which is why I think he had such a good control over how his songs sounded because mm-hmm. he was behind the coding of the driver itself. Yeah. So, and he went on to join Square and ended up doing Final Fantasy games, Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Tactics Ogre. Yep. And Dragon Quest. Yeah. And all all sorts of good stuff. Yeah. Dragon Quest Six, not just the original. Right. Uh, to clarify there. Just to clarify. Those people who would be heard about that kind of stuff. So pull your fingers off the keyboards, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the comment keyboards. And then he went on to form Bass Escape, which is actually his own music production mm. company. Right, right. And so now he does music through there. And he's still composing music to this day. That's you cool. Know, tons and tons of titles under his belt. That's awesome. I'm sure we'll be hearing more from him on our podcast. Well, that's going to do it for Mike's Picks. It's been a real pleasure to showcase some of my favorite tunes. I'm sure we'll revisit you know, my other picks in the future. I don't, and I don't think so. No? 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 Don't think so? No. They're all pretty terrible, huh? <laughs> yeah. Awful music here. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we have more to share and we'll, of course, interview Ed and find out what makes his musical brain tick. Yeah, nobody's going to like that show either. <laughs> it's just going to be shooters. We have terrible tastes in music. We just have to admit it to each other and move on. This is the last episode of Pixel Tunes Radio. That's it, man. Just kidding. We'll be here to annoy you for years to come. With that said, you can check us out on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Pixel Tunes Radio. You can also check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pixel Tunes Radio. You can even check us out on YouTube. At Mike's channel, youtube.com forward slash dongled. And we've just started a Pixel Tunes Instagram account. What I'll be doing is every time we release a podcast for the next 10 days, I'm going to release either a cool picture or a 15 second video clip of the game itself with a little blurb about it. And I'll have the hashtag PixelTunes Radio. So you can follow us at PixelTunes Radio on Instagram or just search for the hashtag. And each episode will have a different hashtag. So look for hashtag Mike's Picks for this episode. Cool. So we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please leave us your comments on Facebook. Um, give us a like on iTunes. And, and please give us a good rating if you enjoy the show. We will be back in two weeks with an episode of A Secret Origin. Ooh. See you next time, boys and girls.